Hello and welcome to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast, a show about life adversity, how to overcome it and transform your life. This is your host, Dr. Lidiana Garcia, a licensed psychologist in Los Angeles, California. And even though my hope is to deliver information that can be helpful for you to overcome adversity and transform your life, it is not meant to be a substitute for being diagnosed and treated by a licensed mental health, medical, and related professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second season to another great episode. Today, I have the pleasure of having Denise Vite. She's a licensed clinical social worker that specializes in zero to five and in the parents and motherhood, dad, fatherhood, I was going to say dadhood, and everything in between. And I'm so happy to have her join our show to talk about an episode about the parent's relationship, the partner's relationship after the baby, because there's a lot of things that happen right after. I'm about to go through it again and experience what would be to have a second addition to the family. And I think like a lot of people don't talk about this. And then you see in a lot of the forums, moms asking questions about it, but there's like not that much place that they can explore it. So I am so excited. And I can, as you can see, I can keep on talking about it. But without any further ado, here's Denise. And thank you for joining us, Denise. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. I admire all of your work and everything you're doing in the field of trauma. So I'm excited to be here. And I love talking about this too. So I'm excited. Yeah, Yeah, so excited. So to start, can you please tell us a little bit about you, the work that you do, and what are you the most passionate about it? Okay. Well, I live and work here in Orange County, California. I have been working in the mental health field as a licensed clinical social worker for almost 14 years now. And the majority of that time, I have been working as a child therapist and working with parents in supporting their children's needs and improving their mental health. And then about almost six years ago, I had my first daughter. And then that kind of woke me to the experience of what it's really like and those challenges firsthand. And I went through a lot of stuff that I don't feel like we talk about enough. So it really motivated me to specialize in treating postpartum depression, anxiety, working with pregnant mothers. And then it got me really interested in the couple system and what happens to us in our marriages and our relationships. So I got a little extra training through the Gottmans, which are relationship experts, researchers, psychologists, and they have a bringing baby home program that is specific for expecting parents and new parents to help them keep their relationships strong. So I work in two different settings. I work for Kaiser, which is an HMO here in California. That's like 30 hours of my week. And then, you know, my part-time I st- uh, practice, I started three years ago here in Brea and Fullerton, and that's called Compassionate Wellness Counseling. And so, you know, I'm trying to do it all. And now I have two children. So it keeps me pretty busy. Yeah. I also recently got trained in EMDR so that I could have a little bit more you know, some more tools under my belt to help my clients who have trauma. And so I'm excited to incorporate that into my work. Culturally speaking, my parents are from Jalisco, Mexico, and I was born and raised here in the Midwest and California. Oh, wow. In the Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Suburb of Chicago. So I came here when I was about 12 and then I went back for grad school. So. Oh, interesting. Cool. Thank you for all of this. And it's so interesting because our journey has some similarities in terms of how everything shifted after we have our kids. It's like, (laughs) wait, (laughs) we have all this theory and all this learning and we were doing all this. And then after that, it's like, we really 
now we can really go through it. And I know there's these people that go like, oh, I'm not a mom, but it's okay. I can still talk with moms and talk about parenting. And I mean, you can do it, of course, but there's, there's this thing that happens after you go through it that you can actually experience the overwhelming peace and everything that I feel like there's no comparison. Exactly. I completely agree. I think that your ability to relate and, you know, it's one thing to tell a parent to be consistent mm -hmm. before you have children and then to be living it and being like, listen, I know that this is hard. So let's try to figure out what, what we can be consistent with <laughs> and how we can help ourselves through this really, really difficult process. So I 100% agree. It's a different world once you're actually yeah. parenting. Yeah. I know. <laughs> this yes. yes. So I, yeah. I, I know, right? Uh, I know you asked me what I'm most passionate about. I think that two things, personally and professionally, since becoming a parent, I feel really passionate about giving voice to the experience of motherhood that is not so glamorous, that I think there's a lot of moms out there who love their children, but really struggle to embrace a lot of aspects of motherhood. And I just want those moms to know that you're still a good mom, that you can find your happy medium, that there's just too many women, I think, suffering in silence because we constantly are worried that we're not the good enough mother. And I just, if anybody prepares for having a child, I think they're preparing for the birth and they're preparing for like what to do with the baby. And I really just want to change the conversation around how we prepare for children to focus a little bit more on the changes that we as parents go through and then the couple. What happens to you afterwards? Because if you're not good, it's going to be really hard for you to provide that loving environment that you want for your child. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's so important. I remember when I had my first, I was like, okay, I did all this because I had a home birth. So I, I did all this planning for the birth and somewhat a little bit for postpartum, which this time I'm like, I'm going to focus a lot on postpartum in terms of all the things that I feel like I missed, but the piece that it was that whole of me becoming this new person and trying to understand it, it was so complicated. Especially, I had a, like a lot of that shame as a psychologist, like I had to be this good enough mom, created attachment, so I don't mess up the attachment. And at the same time, it was like, but I want my space, I want my body, you know, here and there. So... Exactly. I think that it's really nice that we have more education and know what to do a little bit more than maybe our parents did. But I also think that it creates this unrealistic pressure. And, and I agree. I think I talked to other therapists who have kids and we just, we do have higher expectations because in real life, we can't carry out those things that we know are good for our children because we're human. But we just expect that we can deal with our stuff better, <laughs> you know? Yes. And yes. It's, it's not always the case. So. Not, but your work is amazing. I'm so happy that you're doing that. Thank you. So why is it so important? I know we start talking a little bit to prepare the couple um, after the baby comes. Well, I'll steal a, a quote from the Gottmans and they say, you know, the best gift you can give your baby is a really strong relationship between the two of you. And I think that as the couple, we are the parents, we're the foundation for the home. We're modeling, you know, what a loving, healthy relationship looks like. All of the coordination and patience and trusting each other as you make all of these decisions. And I think that for most people in the beginning, there's so much stress around and figuring out what to do. If you're not getting along, if you're not investing in each other while you're parenting together, I think it just all goes out the window, right? You're, you argue more, you have less patience for each other. I mean, we're going to snap at each other a little bit more because we're not sleeping very well. <laughs> but I just think that oftentimes when we have children, 
the relationship takes a back seat. And if we're not paying attention to each other, we're not going to be talking to each other. And it's going to be really hard for these children to grow up and kind of be on the, be in sync and be learning positive relationships from us. Yeah. And I think it's so hard because you go out there and there's this movement, you know, everything becomes either or in parenting. You're either attachment parenting or you let them cry out. You either do this or you do, you know, it's always like the opposite. And it's like, and so much negative stigma within each one of them. And sometimes parents are sleep deprived, many of them. They're overwhelmed. So when they read things, you just need like step one, step two, step three. And I feel like you follow it, but then you realize this is not working, but it has to work because for other people it's working. And yeah. And then if you have parents or in-laws and other people. Oh my God, it's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. Telling you like, do this, do that. And in each child, like I've started to experience that. Like my pregnancy this time is I've done things 360 different because mm -hmm. I tried to, I, at the beginning, as soon as I find out I was pregnant, I started doing the same thing that I did yeah. for my first one. And then, nope, my body was like, nope, we don't want cheese this time. This is not helpful <laughs> for us. Exactly. Or, yes. And I was it's so- from I, the get-go, right? So now I'm like, ooh, when baby girl is born, like this is going to be like a, not a complete new mom, but it's like a complete new experience in a way. So. Well, I always say, because I facilitate postpartum depression groups. And I, always, I have moms come in there with their second, third, and fourth. And, you know, we talk about like, you're not necessarily a first time mom anymore, but this is the first time you have this family dynamic going on with this many children now. And so there's so many new elements to it. And you're having to figure out how to parent these different stages. And so that's where I think if there's not good communication between the parents, you know, and you have all of that outside noise from family members and what the books are telling you, oftentimes the couple can really lose themselves because they can't come to an agreement or they can't find their own way together. So it's, it's a lot for a couple. Mm -hmm. How can the couple's previous issues, traumas, and life experiences, I know this is a very loaded question, impact their relationship after the baby? Well, I think about a couple things when you ask me that. I think when we experience trauma, it can shape how we relate to other people in our life, in our world. So you have, how did that person regulate their feelings before this relationship? Boundaries come up, you know, whether somebody has really strict <laughs> boundaries as a result of what they've been through, or maybe they weren't taught boundaries. And so those kind of issues can come up after you have a baby and you're trying to figure out how to parent, uh, what kind of discipline or how you want to respond to things. I think that parenting is extremely triggering. I don't think we talk enough about how your trauma can, can kind of resurface depending on whether or not it was something you processed and got help for or you blocked it. So I think, for example, a survivor of childhood sexual abuse may be re-traumatized if, if it's the mom, could be re-traumatized through all of those vaginal exams and her body being touched and the birth and delivery there can be new trauma that develops if there was like birth trauma or a child in the NICU. So there's a lot of different ways that this can kind of come up for somebody. And say for that parent who was sexually abused as a young child, that's going to inform how they parent their child because maybe there is some PTSD that comes up and it creates more anxiety. So they want to overprotect or have certain rules around who can visit and who can do what and who can touch my baby. And so, and the other parent might not necessarily understand or relate at all to that. 
And so that may create a lot of misunderstanding if a partner doesn't know how to really support their partner through, through whatever they might be triggered with. I can think of another situation where I worked with couples and I often meet with each of them individually so I can just learn what those experiences are coming into therapy and just how it might affect their marriage. And I've had a, I've had a person tell me like, I was abused as a child, but my partner doesn't know. And so, you know, I respond the way that I do because I have that in the back of my mind and I do certain things because I'm thinking about that. And here their partner has no idea. So the partner's just seeing those responses, those actions without that trauma history. So I just, there's so many different angles that it, um, I think that it presents itself and it, it can definitely guide how parents like want to then parent their own kids. I mean, I think also too, like our relationship with our parents tend to be very complicated. We often think about what happened in our childhood and it's kind of like, I want to do what my parents did over here because that made me feel loved. I don't want to repeat those same patterns because that made me feel unsafe. And I think in many ways, we start to really get triggered by seeing our parents, if they're still around, have relationships with our kids because yeah. they're very different with them than they, are with, than they were with us. I think that if you, were, if you had a parent who abandoned you, it might resurface some things for you because now you have a child and you're like, how, how could that have happened to me? Or just traumas that you experienced at that age and now you have this little being that you love, at that age, it can trigger things for you. Yeah. Yeah, I probably missed some, but that's a few things. I don't know, but yeah, no, this is, yeah, it's it's just very complex. And for my listeners that probably are like, oh my God, that's like a lot. Like I'm probably going to get triggered by something. Just know that I think it's part of it. I think it's part of the growth. Instead of going like, how can I clear all my trauma before I have my child? I honestly feel like that's an utopia. Like it's really hard to just be completely (laughs) cleared. And there might be even little things that you might not even recognize, like something that a cousin did or, or even how people look at you or the little attitude that maybe you were not able to express to your parents. And now you see your little, your toddler (laughs) or your infant not wanting something, you know, and it triggers. So it's just part of it. I think it's the more that you can be aware and at the same time not to get completely in that loop. It's important, but just to accept it. I think it's part of it. It's part of the growth. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a, it's a really good point and advice because I think that we're so we're so worried about messing our kids up. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, we're so worried about, oh my gosh, how I'm reacting to things and my traumas, are they going to become my kids' traumas? I mean, we, we do know a little bit more about intergenerational trauma, but I think that we do have to have a lot of grace and compassion for ourselves um, to know that we, the expectation is not perfection. We're going to, it's also about like learning how to repair that stuff when it happens that we know maybe, or we learn how to come back and talk to our kids to discuss what happened or when we, you know, were triggered and we acted in a way that we shouldn't have that I feel like our parents didn't really know how to do. So, so there's just definitely a lot of, a lot of ways to, I think, to repair it and to not pressure yourself so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what are some of the most common issues couples experience after the arrival of a baby? So again, these things can happen. They don't happen to everybody. I don't want to freak people out. (laughs) But so that people can maybe start to think a little bit about it. The research shows that two out of three couples are going to like experience a dip in satisfaction. So I also want to normalize some of these things that it 
it doesn't mean that your relationship isn't what you thought it was. I just think it's most couples go through this stuff. So I think that in some cases, I often see like in my groups, there's this effect called gatekeeping, where mothers kind of start to act as gatekeepers. You know, we can be a little bit about control or a lot. And depending on whether or not there is an anxiety disorder or just kind of that regular anxiety that first time or us moms have, I think gatekeeping is when you're just, you want to manage everything. You want to control everything, who visits, who does what with baby. And that often alienates partner because that often means that they're not letting partner do as much because maybe their partner is not doing it the right way. And so then what happens to the partner when, you know, he or she's been really criticized or they see their partner redoing everything they just did, they stop helping out as much. And then that loop of feeling a little resentful that your partner is not helping you. (laughs) But when they do, you kind of like snap at them. So I often see that one happening. Some of the obvious ones I think are, you know, that sleep deprivation and what that does to us and our ability to, to regulate our emotions and how we communicate with each other. I think nighttime is a huge thing that people really need to talk about. You know, if one partner goes back to work, mom usually feels like, okay, I have to be up all night. But like in the beginning, it's really, really tough to keep your cool. If you have a colicky baby or, you know, you nursed and your baby's up for three hours. So I think that there needs to be more dialogue around how are we going to manage that? And the mom guilt, not letting the mom guilt get in the way of occasionally having your partner step in when you have been, there's one thing about sleep deprivation, but some women experience it worse than others. And that can be really unhealthy for them and really impact everything else. So I think nighttime battles sometimes become something like we start to keep score of who did what when, right? Uh, Uh, Yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, moms often say, I don't know how dad sleeps through everything. And so that's, you know, and I might as well get up anyways, because I hear it and I don't let the baby cry as often or as much. And so there's differences in, I think, just that anxiety level and how that drives what you do. So that can be a big thing. Just postpartum mental health issues in general. If one person, and you know, one in 10 dads will experience postpartum depression. I don't think a lot of people know that. So if either partner has any mental health issue going on, it's really gonna impact how they can be present for baby and for each other. I also think that breastfeeding, how you feed your baby can become a very big trigger for moms. And there can maybe be just some disagreement around, you know, if it's not working well, should you keep going? Should you not? Maybe mom wants to stop and partner's like, no, keep going. So I, that's a very layered issue that we could get into on its own. But I think it definitely causes a lot of emotional distress for people. And it's way harder than people talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that if it's oftentimes if we're talking about like a heterosexual relationship and there's conflict, you know, you might see dad withdraw or in any other relationship, right? A partner might withdraw and maybe immerse themselves more in work in whatever activity to de-stress themselves. Mm -hmm. So then that means they're just not around as much. So then just that overall connection is slipping from them. I think that we talked a little bit in the beginning about just losing your identity or just how, how your identity changes. And I don't know that partners are checking in with each other about that, right? Like, how are you feeling now that you can't do X, Y, and Z? Or even for dads, if we're not talking about moms, we really aren't talking about dads and their transformations, you know, and their anxieties. I think in the beginning, a lot of men don't feel as competent and comfortable doing things with the baby. 
So then you have that difference of like, oh, my husband just sits there and watches TV while the baby's sitting next to him. And, you know, whereas mom wants dad to be singing and, you know, rocking and playing. And so then there's this argument over what the good parent looks like. And they may have different ideas of what that looks like. And then we talked about family. I think family is another one. Extended family can become a big point (laughs) argument or just conflict because maybe how involved do we want our family to be? Do we want your mom over all of the time? Who do we feel comfortable having over as our support system and lending a hand? And just the opinions, right? Mm -hmm. Like your mom trying to tell you how to mom or his mom trying to tell you how to mom. (laughs) Or even tell the partner and then the partner telling you, my mom told me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. That happens a lot. That that happens a lot. So, and then sex, you know, we talk about sex and we're not having sex. (laughs) You know, that's a, a big change in a relationship and it takes way longer than six to eight weeks for a mother to heal mentally, physically, and emotionally from birth. But a partner might be looking at that six to eight week mark as the goal. And then for victims of trauma in the past or birth trauma, it might complicate that even more. So I often encourage couples to have conversations starting in pregnancy on how to, how do we redefine intimacy? If your love language is touch, how can we incorporate different ways to touch and to make each other feel connected through massage, through, hold, through cuddling, in ways that we can at least still bond if we're not having intercourse? Yeah. And there's also the body changes. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. If breastfeeding or even not, still your most breasts will produce milk, even if you are winning out of it. So, and everything, the body. Yeah, and yeah a lot of self-esteem exactly yeah a lot of women just don't feel like oh please uh, lights off don't look at me Um, whereas even if you have a partner that's really I think supportive and makes you feel good it's just it's within that mom right within your own comfort level of where you're at and definitely if you're nursing it's kind of like don't go there that's the baby (laughs) right it's hard to feel sexual I think and to get there so so I think that's that's definitely a big issue that comes up yeah. Yeah. So complex. So complex. Yeah. And what are the recommendations for the couples? Let's start with before. Like, what are some of the things that you would focus before baby arrives? Well, before baby arrives, I think that there's, I hate to use the word plan because I think as with children, it's like everything goes out the window sometimes once you actually meet your baby and things don't always go according to plan. But I think creating more of a postpartum plan, you know, having dates where you, talk a little bit more in depth, like a weekly check-in with each other, I think is just good to have no matter what stage of relationship you're in. Because there's a common dynamic of like, whenever one person wants to talk about something serious, (laughs) the other person might be like, I'm tired, or I'm not in the mood. And if you develop a weekly routine of checking in with each other about more of the important stuff, have dates around it, about what is it really going to look like for us as it relates to a couple of the issues that maybe I brought up, right? Like intimacy. How satisfied are we right now with this level of our relationship? What might it look like afterwards? And I know that that's hard because you don't really know until you're in it. But to some degree, some of those things can start to change in pregnancy already. So part of your postpartum plan should include how satisfied are we with the division of labor right now and the things in the household and how is it going to look like after? What parts can you do to help me feel supported? 
The Gottmans actually have this list of every kind of item in the house that you need to see. Yeah. And it's like, where, who's doing it now? Are you satisfied with that? And then, you know, what is it going to look like after baby? Because I think a big issue too, is moms take on too much. We're doing it all. And we feel like we're not good enough mothers if we're not doing it all. So then we don't delegate. We don't kind of split up things. Nothing's ever going to be equal, but you really need to talk about like, let's imagine we're both back at work. If that's the plan and we have four hours in the evening, what is that four hours really going to look like? How do we self-soothe right now when we're angry, when we're stressed, what's our go-to? And well, if mine was exercising or yoga, I'm not going to be able to do that in the first few months. I won't probably maybe have energy to do that for who knows how long. So how within the home can we support each other to have our own time? I think learning a little bit about what postpartum mental health, depression, anxiety looks like so that you can be looking out for the signs. Part of your plan should be having, what are the resources in my community? What if I don't have a therapist and I might need a therapist? You might think you're not going to be that person. But I think that's something good to delegate to partners, like not mom, but dad or where the partner is, to say, can you look up resources in the community that might help support me as a mom and you as a dad, whether that's some kind of support group, therapist, whatever healing practitioner that you may feel you want to reach out to. When you're in postpartum, you're not going to have the desire or the time to do that. Who in your support system can help you? Granted, you don't know if you're going to be the anxious mom who doesn't want anybody to help, but practical support, like who do we feel comfortable, like asking for help with meals or like errands, emotional support, helping, who can I really talk to? Who can I let in if I'm struggling? And then time, how are we going to, we're not going to be able to go on dates. So what kinds of things can we do at home to still connect? I really like the Gottman's philosophy of small things often and their emotional bank account, that it's in the little things we do every day that really can help us stay connected. So kind of survey, like, what are our rituals of how we connect right now? You know, whether it's how we communicate in the day when we're not together, how we greet each other, are we going to work to put the baby down and connect, even if it's just for 20 minutes? Because the reality is the reason that we become dissatisfied in relationships is because we put, every, we put the relationship at the bottom. The housework needs to be done. I need to go sleep. And granted, I want you to sleep, especially if you are experiencing a lot of depression or anxiety. But I just think that it's usually the easiest to say, oh, we'll do that later. And next thing you know, it's been months since you connected or went out. So having some more in-depth conversations and I think that there are, you know, I provide workshops like this, the yoga, the prenatal yoga studio in my area offers a lot of really great classes that are couple centered. So, you know, even if it's not related to just having babies, like go to a couple's workshop. If you're struggling to talk about certain issues, for instance, I think that you should talk about how you're like your family of origin, certain things that you expect to either happen because they happened when you were a child. I mean, sometimes I'll have moms be like, well, my husband's mom did everything. And so now he wants me to do everything. But it wasn't like that before we had the kid. So it's interesting that we fall back into those really traditional roles. Even if we are really like modern progressive couple, it just happens. And so I think you can get really stuck. And I think seeking out much in the way that some people go to premarital counseling, 
seek out professional help if you're like, you know what, I just, I think we need to talk to somebody who can help us have these conversations or couples workshops to improve communication. It's not about solving every problem in a relationship. It's about learning how to compromise. So I think those are some things that couples can be doing. So helpful. You said so many things that I I wish we had way more time to go into deeper, but, but yeah. Yeah. For anybody that's listening, this will be a moment to go back and listen again to this question because there's a lot of great information and creating a plan. I remember my doula for my first child, like around week 36. So I was already, I think nine months, that's nine months. She told me, Liliana, I'm going to tell you these things right now. We're going to write them because as soon as baby come, you won't be here. You won't be able to understand me like this. You will be like in a bubble ish. And I was like, what does she mean? And then lo and behold, yes, I remember I was in that bubble. I was like, it was so many things happening. And I feel like having a written plan and having all these things, because a lot of people that I've talked to, they go like, oh, I won't need that. And if I do, I'll Google it. It's just, you won't have the mental capacity necessarily. You will be Googling probably how to get the baby to sleep. What else do I need to use? Or the breastfeeding, if you want to do it, or you will be Googling probably mostly that. But resources and help, you will be like, oh, later, 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 and you won't do it. So having that beforehand, I think it's so, so important. So Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think just like when you're in it, it's so hard to utilize it, but recognize that it can be extremely isolating. If you just stay at home, if you're struggling, it's so much easier to just give in to the, I'm so tired, I can't do that. And you're thinking you're the only one having maybe these relationship problems, or you don't want to go to that mom group because you still don't have it all together. And it's like, once you're in it and you allow other people, you'll probably, if you, if you have friends who have kids and you're the one that didn't, you're going to have your friends be like, oh yeah, that happened to me. <laughs> you didn't know it, but you know, then they'll start to open up. And so I just think that sometimes you have to find how to motivate each other to access the resources that exist as well. Gosh, and another thing I say, I always say, like, I wish that we had mom-centered showers. Like, moms, like, we feel too guilty asking for the things that we need, but we need funds like postpartum self-care because a lot of these things are, are expensive to, to access, which is why we don't, you know? But, like, doulas, postpartum doulas, uh, birth doula. Nurses, yeah. Nurse, night nurse. If you don't have, it sounds very bougie, but I know doulas who offer sliding scales, who work in the communities who, what if you are a family who came from Mexico or abroad and you don't have any support system here? It's not, we shouldn't be ashamed to ask for that kind of help and say, well, instead of buying me that really expensive thing for the baby that I may not use, maybe I should have a fund that's a little bit more about meal plans or like getting somebody to come clean my house or, (laughs) you know, going to that therapist, my therapist fund. I know it's hard to do those things, but I just think if we shifted our mentalities a little bit to to gift something to a mom, or if you don't have funds, like, how can I give you my time? But it's up to us to actually get out and do that stuff. And I think that's where the challenging piece is. So I think that just giving yourself some patience and when you're in it, recognizing that those things can really help reduce sometimes the suffering that's happening, because you're just thinking you have to do it alone. And you don't. And I would say this, Moms sometimes need to pull back and let partner help. Mm -hmm. And partner needs to initiate things without being asked. 
I think that's another common conflict. And so you can really help each other out by being proactive and just looking to see what can I do in the first couple months so that mom is truly resting and then mom letting it happen. Yep. There's a lot of surrender. And we kind of, yeah, yeah. (laughs) we kind of touched a little bit of after, but any other recommendation that you find is really important after the baby arrives for the couple? After the baby arrives, I think that letting yourselves figure it out and, and trying to have really good boundaries is important with how much you let other people kind of guide some of your decision making, I think is really important. I think like I said, date nights in the beginning are not happening. So just kind of coming up with a couple ways that you can connect at the end of the day, like when babies are sleeping, really opting to not do all of the other things that need to be done, but kind of thinking of your relationship as like, this is a must have. This is something we have to do. It's not a uh, babies benefit a lot, <laughs> their mental health, their outcomes benefit a lot when we connect. So I think that it's hard to consume more information afterwards. So that's why I kind of like maybe reading the books or doing whatever you want to do to inform yourself before pregnancy. But I think in the beginning, it's also just like lowering your expectations, seeing the problems that might arise, not as personal flaws of your partner, but just as, okay, we are stressed. It's tense right now. We are going through one of those dips, but it's, we're not going to stay there you know, and what can I do in small ways to still let my partner know that I care and that I'm invested. And that's why I think talking is really important. If you develop the ritual of check-ins with each other, it'll become more second nature. Yeah. And I think super important that you're talking a little bit more and and keep repeating ish the same message about the importance of the connection of a couple, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times none of that is written in books about sleep disorder about a routine, the importance, about the feeding schedule, blah, 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 blah. But it's nowhere necessarily written that your relationship with your partner, your mental health, it's so important. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. only in the short term, but also in the long run of parenting. And a lot of times that's what's being put, oh no, yeah, I'll put that in the back end because right now I'm doing this feeding schedule that I looked and it's so important or this nap schedule that I cannot change. And it's like, oh, it's a balance. And yeah. it's a balance. And, and that's where I feel like it's so good that, you know, people like you and professionals that are like you and, and others that work in this population are making it more real. Mm-hmm. Textbook. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah. It's, it's not like that. It's not cookie cutter. And, and some people kind of go crazy. And yes, I know that when you take kids out of a schedule, it's a little harder but sometimes it's worth it to do that in order to do something else to balance it and to help you. Yeah. And to see it as what's my, why, why should I do this? You know, because in the beginning you're going to be so tired and maybe irritated at your partner. You're just, I mean, I will hear moms be like, take care of yourself. I got a baby to take care of. Like you want me to like go on a date with you. I can't even like, you know, you're grown and it's kind of, you know, I get it. Cause that's where we go to. But again, I think having to remember that this is the, like, why did we have a family? I really think that's an important thing to talk about. Why are we having this baby? Why are we expanding our family? Why, why is that so important to us? Because we lose that connection to each other and the why often. That I want to, I want to create life with you, that I want to build something here. And I think 
it's so much harder to coordinate with each other if you're not getting along and then the kids feel that like when we talk about what are the effects on kids you know the why is because yes our, our child needs to see that we love each other i remember i had a teenager that i worked with and his parents were getting divorced and he said um you know i was checking in with him on how he was feeling and handling it and he's like i've never seen my parents this was like a 13 year old he's like i'm not really surprised i've never even seen my parents kiss and so you know I mean, I think just that in itself says a lot, like how your children are growing up to perceive what love is and, and healthy relationships, like I said in the beginning. Um, the why is so that we can coordinate better with each other, so that we can get along better, so that we can make decisions better. You're not going to be able to compromise on your different styles of parenting, which will come up if you're not, if you don't view your partner with respect and you're in that what they call the positive perspective, where when you think of your partner, you think of all the great stuff. <laughs> a lot of times in the beginning, all the little flaws and things you don't like will come up. So the date nights or the at least connecting at home and making each other the priority will kind of help you, help remind you of that, like shift it back to what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. So much. So everybody mm -hmm. has to go to see Denise workshops. Then are you, are you doing them online as well? I haven't moved to that. You know, I've just kind of started doing the workshops over the last year or so. I do variations of the Bringing Baby Home workshop because it's 12 hours and there's just pieces of it that I really like. And so I break it up because I try to make it, the reality is I know people are probably not going to come to a 12 hour workshop. The nice thing is you can do these things like pregnant or after you have a baby, if you have a baby in arms, you can bring them. But so I do like a four hour version in person. I'll be doing some in March in Long Beach and Brea. And then I've done like an eight hour version that's just about communication and managing the issues that come up, but it would be cool to eventually move to online. Mm -hmm. But right now I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. Cause so. uh, even moms that have newborns and stuff like that, sometimes it's really hard for them to get out. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely like um, do private comes to just wanting to learn more about taking elements of the workshop and customizing it. And that's something that I could do online with like a couple because yeah. I do do like telehealth, but, but my transitioning to parenthood workshop is in person <laughs> right now. Yeah. Now, and in terms of resources, so I know you mentioned the Gutman. Did they have a book called Bring Him Baby Home or? Yeah, the book is called And Baby Makes Three. It's very similar to, they also have a book called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. And so It's very similar to that, but it just talks about in the context of having children and what you can expect. So those are good books. There is a book out there called How to Not Hate Your Husband After Children. <laughs> I know it's a harsh title, but so it's a little more mom-centered, but she talks a little bit about the whys, all the things that we've kind of talked about, about what makes it so hard and certain things that she's kind of figured out to do. So this can be helpful. And if you're looking for couples therapy, I mean, I'm not familiar with all the different kinds. Maybe there's some you can recommend, but I think like hold me tight workshops, Don't focus necessarily like on the, the baby and child aspect of your relationship. But I think I hear really great things about that approach to strengthening your relationship. And if you struggle to talk about your feelings and identify those, that can be a really good type of therapy or workshop to help you. Another podcast that focuses on maternal mental health is called Mom and Mind. So she has a lot of episodes that are just anything related to mental health in pregnancy and postpartum. And I really like the episode on postpartum sex. I'll make sure to look it up so that I can give it to you so you can add it um, to your show notes. But 
I want to say it's episode 95. She has a therapist on that talks about just some of those things that happen after we have babies that I think is just helpful for both people in the relationship to hear because it reminds you of certain things that can happen and why we need to kind of make an effort to like schedule it and make it happen and not wait to be in the mood to have sex because I mean, I'm three years postpartum and you know, <laughs> you know, if you wait to be in the mood, you might be waiting a really long time. Yeah. So that's, that's a good episode and just a good podcast, especially for a new mom who might not know much about mental health issues. And then the Gottmans also have like a marriage minute newsletter, little ideas, little bits of information and ideas on how to, that you can go to their website and subscribe to their marriage minute. Yeah. These are really helpful. Yeah. I've seen them speak in several. Yeah. Oh, really? Very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they do yeah. a lot of very cool research with the little things that they put in the faces that they put. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. And like sometimes I haven't done it, but they recommend like having one of those little pulse monitors, like when you're in there to kind of, you know, that's the biggest thing I said, like I said, the self-soothing and figuring out how to like regulate yourself so that those negative communication styles that we often like, you know, the defensiveness, the criticalness, the shutting down. So we learn how to get through those things. And oftentimes we go into relationships with those and they continue throughout the relationship and increase when we have kids. So, yeah. So some of those are some things and I would just, you know, I can give you some websites and add there that just provide support with for mental health. I know you're having other podcasts that are about maternal mental health, but I can give you some of those just so that they're a little more educated about what what can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, these are really helpful. And I know I was pushing for (laughs) if you would do it online, but, and you mentioned that you have upcoming. So this episode is being recorded in January and it's probably going to come out before or something around March. So when is the date of the workshop? Okay. So I have one that will be March 7th. And then I believe it's the last weekend of March, March, I want to say 28th. I am planning some for later in the year. I've, uh, one of the things that I would really like to do is, and maybe if I put it out there, then it really, it, <laughs> it sets it out there and I got to do it because I have a lot of ideas. I'm sure you do too. You have ideas yeah. and then it's like life happens and you're trying to mom and do it all. But mm-hmm. I would actually like to do a transitioning to parenthood series where maybe it's because right now that workshop is about four hours where I have maybe three, four hour workshops that have their own kind of topic set of skills and that you can kind of pick and choose which one you could come to all three or you could come to two of them in the series. So there would be, because sometimes I feel like I'm rushing through all of the little topics. I mean, you could literally have a whole workshop on, you know, intimacy and the communication piece. So, and then just like emotion coaching with your babies. So I'm interested in doing that. So I'll have other ones later on in the year um, if people aren't able to attend the ones in March. Yeah. And what's your website so people can go and sign up? Yeah, it's compassionatewellnessoc.com. And then I'm also on Instagram is probably, I haven't been super active lately just because life, (laughs) it's hard for me to post consistently, but I I do respond to messages on there. So you can find me on Instagram as well at compassionatewellnessoc. Okay. Okay. And I think we discussed your contacts yeah, the website and services. So you provide also your prior practice. Do you have a specific date for that or? Yeah, so that's, I, you know, I only have a few clients because I, you know, like I said, I, I do 30 hours at Kaiser. So 
right now it's like I have some Thursday evening and then alternating Saturdays. And, you know, as I'm trying, as my kids start to go into school full time, I think that'll, that'll give me an opportunity to do a little bit more during the day. So I'm playing around with my availability. I had stopped taking on clients because I had a lot of stuff going on and I was at my max. So I struggle with that because I always want to offer more and help more people, but I hear you. Uh-huh. I'm going to shift my, I'm going to shift my availability a little bit in this upcoming year. So, um, but yeah, so that's why I think a lot of us have like, when we're starting out in private practice, we have, we still have a clinic job somewhere else. So then, you know, our availability is not always as, as wide open, but definitely like privates for the bringing baby home stuff, the transitioning to parenthood, if they're not able to actually attend a workshop is an option. Perfect. And this is for clients in California. Yeah. Yeah. Telehealth. The nice thing is about doing telehealth. If I have an Indian, like a mom who wants to reach out or a couple who wants to reach out is then I could see anybody in California, mm-hmm. but not out of state. Yeah. 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 For now, let's say. The- yeah, I know. Right. I better see come here. <laughs> let's see if things change. Hey, so thank you so much. All this like, uh, and when we'll be transcribing and all, I'll be like taking a lot of notes for myself as well. <laughs> I'm like, geez, I did not have a written plan. I did not have that. And I've been thinking like how I want to change things this time because I recognize how hard that was. And yes, it was around when my son was three when I finally came back. And now I'm going to start all over. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, again, like as as much as you can plan with knowing things will be, you know, different. (laughs) Things things can change. Yeah, have the resources and information and all that because that, that's what helped me the most was mom group that I started attending on a weekly basis and then we made it ourselves and that was my saving space. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was for me too. Yeah. yeah. So, and a lot of people go like, no, I don't want to do that. No, or they don't even think that that exists. So it's so important. Right. So knowing what is, I mean, these resources are not everywhere, but there might be more than you realize. I know other therapists who kind of have workshops similar to this or support for moms. So definitely available if somebody needs to ask a question about that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us and all this amazing information that you provided. I am so looking forward to have this episode already edited and to put it out there for our listeners. Yes. Yes. I really appreciate the opportunity and thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All righty. And good luck to you with your pregnancy. Oh, I can. Girl, I know how hard that can be. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to the Beyond Resilience Life podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. If you like this episode, please make sure to review it and comment on it and share it with your friends and family. Until next time.